and PK is brought to you by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. Is it foreshadowing of the selection show Sunday morning? SEC bias in everything. East Coast bias in everything. ESPN's counting down to not the top ten here. Just watching that in the commercial break. SEC was one and two. The fans getting out of the hedges was number one. No. LeBron carrying the ball. What an epic fail. And they did a nice job of the little, uh, it's not spot shadow. You kind of light the guy up and you pull him out. I don't know what the term is for. So you can really see LeBron's walking the ball. And they showed Bogdanovich turning and looking at the ref like, are you watching this? Are you even watching the game? And they spot, even had two fans in the front row like, are you kidding me? We paid for this? It was number four. Number three wasn't bad. Dude ran into a goalpost. Come on, running a goalpost is funny. I get that. But number two was the Ole Miss guy in the back of the end zone doing the dog thing. And number one, it's SEC bias and everything. Even in screwing up the SECs one and two. It's baked into the system, I tell you. I actually can't complain about number two. That was a uh, a horrific way to mess up the end of a game. You are forever going to be, you're going to, that that dude's going to be 50 years old and there's going to be video of him. Hey, the all-time greatest blunders. Lifting a leg in the end zone. Not expecting those blunders tonight. It's the Utes. It's the Ducks. Pac-12 title game, 6 o'clock. High stakes. Time to talk about that game with our guest, Kyle Gunther. He's been here every Friday during the college football season, and now it's peaking with the Pac-12 title game, and he is once again on the Sprint Special guest line. Get a Samsung S10 for $0 when you activate a new line of service with a flex lease now through December 26th. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Gunther. Kyle Gunther. Good morning. Mr. DJ, how are you, sir? I'm good. And I think the question for you before we get to the football and the X's and O's and the breaking it down and putting our fingers in the rubberized pellets is how does a former you watch the game? You're, you're at home gathering with family. You uh, got some former teammates who are coming over. You're uh, racing out for a last second trip out to California yourself. How are you going to enjoy this one? Well, last week I had the pleasure of watching the game with Mr. Hans Olsen, uh, Lude, Lloyd, Cole, uh, Austin, Browner, we were all hanging out at the Zone Studios. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty incredible experience. Hans and I were eating wings and uh, arguing about uh, nose guards and uh, offensive guards and tackles, and, and that was a ton of fun. Tonight, though, I have a great opportunity. My buddy Park is having a huge party, and he's got an 80-inch projection screen TV, and we're having a pool tournament as well. So that means I'm going to be losing a lot of money and uh, watching the game with a bunch of friends. So uh, it just kind of depends each week. Uh, uh, this year has been a little unique. Normally I've been <laughs> doing a lot of pre- and post-game shows. But, yeah, this year uh, I've watched it with some family. But tonight I'm hoping to uh, – I, I might win one game of pool tonight while watching the game. That's a big TV right there, Yach. That's what I'm talking about. And back in the day I had well, a big it, TV, it, but now I don't. 80-inch, that's, that's – well, it's it's one of those. He's got the projector thing, mm-hmm. so he's going to put it on his wall. It's pretty wild. It's it's a lot of fun to watch there. Uh, but last week it was really unique because you know Hans Olsen is a guy who understands football better than just about anybody, and yet we're all here sitting around, you know, fans, uh, experts, or whatever you want to call everybody. Everybody has the same question: when the Utes don't score in the first quarter, everybody says, "What's going on?" And uh, the Utes are. 
you know, they are like uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, to make a boxing reference. They are, you know, they're not Mike Tyson. They're not going to come out and knock you out in the first quarter, uh, in the first couple of rounds. No, the Utes are, they're into feeling you out. And I wonder, though, if this week things are going to change because the Utes realize they cannot afford another slow start. And, you know, maybe they're trying to make an impact on the selection committee. I- I'm intrigued by that. If the Utes come out with a trick play or something early and try to get a score early on the Ducks so that the Ducks feel like they have to get away from their run game in the first half. So I brought up the weather with Kyle Whittingham, and I brought it up one other time, and then PK yelled at me for being weather-obsessed. It's the same for both teams, <laughs> and the team that plays better will win, and I'm tired of you and your weather. You know how that rant goes. So... <laughs> I'm curious, though, with what you bring up about the Utes, you know, will they start faster? Because Kyle, when we talked to him, and we interviewed him on, uh, I think we taped it on Tuesday to air on Thursday, and so he was already focused on the weather, and he knew what the wind conditions were going to be, and I wonder if they're going to feel the pressure to start fast because the field's going to get in worse shape as the game goes along. And this is not a team that started fast. This is a team that, you know, actually trailed UCLA. I mean, how often do you trail when you win 49-3? to And yet, you know, we're, we're used to the Utes having the other team score first. We've seen it multiple times. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's for a couple of reasons. It's because the Utes uh, are a little conservative early on with their offense because they're trying to set plays up mm-hmm. for the fourth quarter. I mean, think about how often the Utes used Brant Keithy last week. That was something that came on in the second half as well. And so you saw the Utes kind of developing that play. But if you go back and watch the fourth quarter, of Oregon's loss to Arizona State. Arizona State makes a couple of huge uh, plays through the air, including a touchdown pass to, what's his name, Ayuk, uh-huh. who, I mean, it was like a 50, yeah, 50 or 60-yard bomb. And that's how you beat an opponent, is you, you rely on your own skills, and then you also you look at where they've struggled in the past. And if Oregon's given up 50-yard touchdown passes to freshman quarterbacks in the fourth quarter, and I'm Andy Ludwig, I'm going to say, well, let's test that secondary. And Wind can be a factor, absolutely. The cold can be a factor. But at some point, these guys are going to open up their throw game. The Ducks have to throw the ball a lot with Justin Herbert because he's such a talented quarterback. But, again, you know, there was plenty of times where he was just a little bit off. On third down, he'd throw a little bit behind a receiver. And Arizona State's defense was still able to get pressure. And Arizona State's defense is not very good. The Utes defense is elite. I think it's the best defense ever at Utah. And so they're going to do a better job of getting pressure on Justin Herbert. And there's going to be a good back and forth. Remember, Oregon and Arizona State was a low-scoring game. Just because the Ducks have a what you would assume is a high-powered offense, this game is going to be pretty low-scoring tonight between the Utes and the Ducks. And uh, I think Utah's defensive line is in for the matchup of the year. This is the best offensive line in the country for the Ducks, and I think it's the best D-line in the country, maybe outside of LSU, for this Utah team. So that's the matchup to keep an eye out for. Uh, But we'll see. I wonder if either team can run the ball. I wonder how healthy Zach Moss will be or what that rotation will be like. But this is the game of the century for the Utes. It's the game of Kyle Whittingham's career. Last year it was their first time in the Pac-12 championship game. They'd already lost to Washington. They were banged up. It, it, was a, it was a different scenario. I think most folks expected it to be a tough matchup with Washington. The Utes are a better team than Oregon this year. Hell, they beat Oregon last year with Jason Shelley. So if you were to talk about pressure, I mean, the pressure is on the Utes because they need to beat the Ducks, and then the conversation is, can they upset fine Bob? <laughs> so what did you think of all that? 
I actually saw something today where Utah fans have started, a, what do you call it, signthepetition.org, uh, and they're trying to get Feinbaum fired. And uh, That's when I think happen. of it, I, I thought Feinbaum's reasoning was pretty scientific. He said, why would Utah get in? It's Utah. It tells me a couple of things. Uh, Feinbaum, you know, the only reason you know about that guy is because he's got outlandish opinions. He's not quite Skip Bayless-esque, but he's trying to, to form a hardline opinion. Now, he said Oklahoma has bigger name value, which they do. And the, the only argument I think makes sense is that if you polled the average football fan in the Midwest of our country, they know who Jalen Hurts is from Oklahoma because he was at Alabama and so the fact that you can name one guy there, I think that makes the average football fan lean towards a school like Oklahoma if Oklahoma wins their championship game and Utah wins their championship game. That would be the assumption, is that the committee would put Oklahoma in there because they've got a Michael Jordan contract with their school. Everybody knows Jalen Hurts. But if you've watched the Utes, not in the first half, if you've watched the Utes in the second half of any game over the last half of the season, the Utes have been comically dominant. But... Uh, I forget who it was. Uh, some national media member last week in the first quarter against Colorado tweeted something like, uh, oh, does nobody want the fourth spot? I guess, I guess the Utes are pretenders. And there's so much overreaction in the first quarter of football games. Yeah, the Utes are down 7 nothing to Colorado. What happened? They stomped Colorado. But you don't have to be patient. Nowadays, I'm not going to force anybody to be patient. So the concern is that because Utah's offense has not been – the banner of this football team, they've not been the torchbearer, that the average football fan, whatever that means, they might lean towards Oklahoma because they've got this rep of, well, they, to be fair, they do have back-to-back Heisman winners. So that would be the argument there. But the point is nobody really wants to be that fourth spot in the playoff because Ohio State, LSU, these teams are pretty elite. And that'll be a fun matchup if the Utes do get in, but to do that, you're going to have to really engulf the Ducks. You're going to have to have an impressive performance, and you're going to have to have some help down the line. So I think there is something to the argument the Utes need to dominate the Ducks here because Oklahoma, if you're, if you're sitting in that committee room right now, you can sit, and you're back in Oklahoma, you can say, hey, Oklahoma's 3-0 against the ranked teams. The Utes are 1-1. Now, we know Oregon's AD is the chair of the committee, and he can say, yeah, they lost to a ranked team, but it was because Zach Moss was hurt and he wasn't playing. With Zach, they're blowing people out. But the teams they've blown out, there's a lot of 5-7 and seven and 6-6 six and six and a couple of 7-5s and fives mixed in. If, I think if they struggle with the Ducks, that's going to take some of the luster off of how much they've dominated these other teams they've played. If they blow out the Ducks... And not even blow them out. If they just beat them by 14 or 17, uh, I don't think they have to drop a 49-3 on them or you know, 42-10 to 10 or anything like that. I think that backs up how dominant they've been because I think that's what they have over Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma had to stop a two-point conversion to beat Iowa State. Oklahoma had almost blew a big lead and lost to TCU. TCU had the ball down four in the fourth quarter twice and couldn't get the one more score to win the game. So I think that's what the Utes have. Do you think they're capable of beating Oregon by 14 or 17? Yeah, yeah. O- Oregon is a team that they're, they're somewhat one-sided. You know, Oregon and Oklahoma have uh, pretty similar issues. Oregon's defense has been suspect at times this year. They're starting a freshman on their defensive line, uh, and Oklahoma's defense has struggled at times too. And I wonder for Oklahoma, though, is that just a 12 thing? Because everybody's throwing the ball so much. Everybody's many plays on offense that you naturally give up more there. But 
I thought style points were part of the BCS era, and I thought that went away in the playoff era. But I'm, I'm with you, DJ. I think the Utes need to win by more than two scores. I think you have to have plays that work in the highlight uh, culture. So if the Utes have a reverse, if they got uh, Tom Hackett, the punter, throwing touchdowns again, or you know, remember a couple of years ago when the Utes just blew out the Ducks, and you had Devontae Booker throwing yeah. touchdown passes, and they were throwing touchdown passes to Caleb Rep, <laughs> who's now a the end at Utah State. If you got a game like that, that works out well. But I, I know uh, ifs and buts were candies and nuts. We'd all have a Merry Christmas. But the Utes doubled up USC in time of possession. They about doubled them up in every major category. The Utes are an undefeated football team. They played very much like an undefeated football team. You gave up a couple of things against USC through the air that were just – they were outliers. It was the most outlandish game I've seen in a lot of years. And so from the committee standpoint, if you watched any Utah football, this is an undefeated football team. Now, albeit with a schedule that could be stronger, but they've battled through things. I mean, Oregon lost to Arizona State. The Utes stomped them. Didn't Cal beat Washington? The Utes stomped them. So the football math certainly works in Utah's favor. But, yeah, the schedule could be better. But, man, this is a Utah team that defensively, can choke out just about any team in the country. But, man, I've watched LSU a couple of times this year. I'm not sure anybody can beat LSU. So if we're talking about a playoff matchup, that's a different story. I think this is more about the cachet that Utah does or does not have. And listening to Feinbaum talk or listening to, if you want to call them national dissenters, I had the same feeling in 2008. Barry Switzer said, there's not one guy on this Utah team that would have been recruited by Alabama. And he's right. Not one guy was recruited by Bama, and the Utes stomped Alabama because Bama didn't watch film. They didn't prepare for Brian Johnson. They didn't prepare for the spread offense, the tempo. They thought they could match up with Braden Godfrey. Well, Braden Godfrey runs right past you. You think Brent Castile is short? Well, try and stop him. You think Utah's defensive line was undersized, and they were. That Sugar Bowl D-line, the D-tackles were Derek Shelby and Greg Newman. They were 250 pounds each. And the Utes still stepped up and beat Alabama because of guys like Sly on defense, uh, Robert Johnson, Paul Kruger. This is an even better defense that Utah has here now, specifically the defensive line. So they can be the D-line can be the great equalizer in this game if we're talking about a playoff matchup. But it is hard to sell a defensive line and a run-the-football mentality to a college football selection committee that's thinking about ratings, and they want eyes on the TV set. Well, Zach Moss breaking a 40-yard touchdown run might excite everybody, and he was talking to the media Tuesday and talked about, he didn't use the unfinished business phrase that Kyle Whittingham has used, but he talked about last year, eh, some guys may be happy to be there, and this year it's a different attitude. And his tone when he said it, you would have turned around and fist-pumped if you'd heard it. <laughs> I mean, there's a focus yeah, to it, like, I don't think I want to disagree with Zach right now. I think I'll just roll with this. Well, and Zach wasn't a part of that thing last yeah, year. Neither sure. was Tyler Huntley. If you're injured or if you're not starting, it, it's a weird feeling to be watching a football team that, yeah, you're wearing that jersey, but if you're not out there on the field, you don't feel like you're a part of it. And I can understand that. Zach Moss and Tyler Huntley saying, we're injured. we got too many guys that are pulling out their cell phones and uh, recording things on the way up to the game and happy to be there. And that does happen. That's natural. These guys are young. You're getting cool bowl gifts and cool opportunities, and there's a lot of fun stuff, but there's a reason why Zach Moss turned down the NFL. Your paychecks in the NFL are more than you make all year total as a college football player. He knew that, and he turned it down because of 
of what the Utes accomplished this year because of that unfinished business mantra that the Utes feel like they should have performed better last year in the championship game and in the bowl game. But you were banged up because Tyler Huntley was asked to run the ball way too often because you had the wrong coordinator in there. Now you got the right coordinator in there, and I'll be danged if I wasn't having flashbacks last week. Tyler Huntley ran the ball way too much, and none of those were designed quarterback runs. Tyler Huntley's best passing asset is when you set him up by running the ball, give him a play-action pass, and let him either on a rollout, throw the ball quickly, or once he hits that five-step drop, throw the ball to his first read. When Tyler Huntley's trying to hang in the pocket and go through his progressions, it's just it's been two hit or miss his entire career. And there was too many times he was taken off last week for no reason. There was too many times last week that Tyler Huntley was trying to scramble and spin around outside of a tackle. The tackles are trying to drive the defensive ends around their outside shoulder. You can't run around that or you're going to get in trouble. And so there was too much of that. Tyler Huntley needs to make his first read, make the short throw, and continue to put together drives. I thought Tyler Huntley felt the pressure too much last week. It's senior night. Colorado was up. Tyler Huntley in the first half was trying to to win that game single-handedly, and he doesn't need to do that. This is going to be a 60-minute football game. I don't think the Ducks are going to go down early, easy. I think it's going to be somewhat low-scoring, and I think you're going to see the Utes uh, really choose their spots late. I know we talked earlier about maybe the Utes start fast uh, and, and maybe get a little aggressive early. I think we might be talking about special teams. I think the Utes might be running fake uh, punt returns or reverses. or you know They've got a couple of wild things up their sleeve they can do, and I wouldn't be surprised about that. But you know, Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss are guys that, that feel that pressure of the whole state of Florida. They, they went what, 3,000 miles away, whatever that, you know, whatever the mileage is to come here and graduate and accomplish this, there's a lot on the line for them. And there's a lot on the line for Kyle Whittingham. He's never had a team this talented. He feels the pressure. This is the best team ever at Utah. They're in a great position, and I think they take care of business tonight against the Ducks. The last two or three weeks, Oregon has not been as good. They looked awesome lighting up USC. They looked like they were going to get to 12-1. and They looked totally worthy of a playoff bid, and it looked like playing Utah would just be a titanic matchup. Maybe it was just a bit of a letdown. They worked Arizona. They didn't look great doing it, but it was you know a four-touchdown win, five-touchdown win, whatever it was, because uh, Arizona wasn't very good. Then they lose to ASU. And then that yeah, was just they just slogged through the game with Oregon State. Do you think they can peak again, or is this a team? And we often see it. They they played their best football earlier. They peaked early, and they're not going to be able to bring their A game. What do you what do you think of that? I think Arizona State got better as the season wore on, so that was part of it. Oregon State won more conference games than half the Pac-12. I just was looking at that today. Oregon State had four conference wins. They only had five overall. So credit Oregon State and their staff. Oregon State's got a tough passing game. Remember, uh, Jalen Johnson played the game of his life against Oregon State. That receiver for Oregon State's very tall uh, and very talented, and he had about nine balls swatted away by Jalen Johnson. The Ducks obviously don't have that premier corner. So we'll see if the Utes can find a matchup that works. Maybe it is just Brant Keithy. Maybe nobody's going to step up and cover that tight end. Maybe nobody's going to respect the fly sweep motion with Brant Keithy. But I tell you, his is it five touchdowns the last two weeks for a skinny little two-star recruit from Texas? 
Brant and Carl and Kent Keithy, all the Keithy boys who came out and, and hanging out at Utah, Brant Keithy was the least heralded and least recruited. So I tell you, the Ducks better follow that fly-sweep motion, and the Utes will have some counters off that. They're going to be faking that fly-sweep handoff all night because you have to respect what Brant Keithy is doing. But back to your question, I think the Ducks' defense has worn down throughout the season, and the Utes' defense has gotten better because of depth. Man, Oregon's offensive line, like I said, they're the best in the country. They are so much fun to watch. But where's their passing game at times? Oregon's not got enough depth at receiver. Oregon's running game has been good at times, but not good enough to just bowl over Arizona State. So Oregon's defense is the one that I've got. That's the area where I've got questions of if I'm an Oregon fan. And if I'm a Utah fan, I'm open to exploit that matchup. But injuries happen. They're a part of football. It's not an excuse. Nobody gave the Utes an excuse for losing to Washington in the championship game. Oh, Jason Shelley was in there. Well, Jason Shelley was apparently good enough to be the backup. Now this year he's third string. So I don't know what the hell happened there. But everybody needs depth. Zach Moss has been banged up. You've got to have Devin Brumfield or Jordan Wilmore. Football is about depth. That's why you need those backups, and Oregon clearly doesn't have enough on defense. All right, you enjoy the game tonight, Kyle, and uh, you can play pool before the game or at halftime, but uh, not during the game. Come on, focus on the game. Yeah, uh, no, I, I will. And uh, and say hi to PK for me, and uh, I appreciate you guys. It's been good talking to you. All right, Kyle, thanks a lot. Kyle Gunther, the red and the blue, every Friday, former Utah offensive lineman. David Locke, radio play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz is coming up next. Stay with us. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. College football tonight. The Utes are six-and-a-half-point favorites over Oregon. The Pac-12 title game is on ABC at 6 o'clock. You can hear in pre- and post-game here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up tomorrow, college basketball, BYU and UNLV at the Vivint Smart Home Arena, 1 o'clock on BYU TV. 2 o'clock, UVU and SUU in Cedar City in an in-state game. The Utes host Central Arkansas at 3 p.m. on the Pac-12 Networks. 25th-ranked Utah State plays Fresno State in Logan at 4 o'clock tomorrow. Scotty G on the call on 1280 The Zone and 97.5 The Zone. Weaver State hosts West Cliff and Ogden at 7. The Jazz host the Memphis Grizzlies tomorrow night at 8 o'clock on AT&T Sportsnet. Listen to it on The Zone with the pregame show starting at 7. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Zura Res. Your guests will notice and your toes will thank you. Call Zura Res for a holiday carpet cleaning. Just $33 per room and your fourth room's free. December only. Happy holidays from your friends at Zura Res. Call them at 801-288-9376. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. Police in Missouri said someone took two pies from a store that was accidentally left unlocked while it was closed on Thanksgiving Day. Police came and they found a whole bunch of cash on the counter with a note that read, Happy Thanksgiving. No one was here, but we were in desperate need of pies, so we left this money and we took the pies. Where were you on that night, Hans? <laughs> oh, Hans wouldn't have left money, though. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Oh, wow, Scotty. What is going on, man? Are you just sitting in your room somewhere in San Jose just porky-pigging it and saying, hey, hell with it. If I lose all my friends, I don't care. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to 3. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, we're joined now by the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. He's on the Sprint special guest line. Get an iPhone 11 on us when you activate a new line of service with a flex lease and eligible trade-in now through December 5. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. David, good morning. Good morning. I just want to let you know I have a sneaking suspicion PK's connection will work um, once I'm done. Well, I'll let you know. I have yeah. my I have my Bay Area people taking care of it. All right, let me know how that goes. Or, for you. or I was blocking him until he I was done, so I didn't have to talk to him. One you of have the, two. You have that power, apparently. Mm-hmm. Do you have the power to fix what ails the Utah Jazz? Because the last seven games have not looked yep. like the first fifteen games. Some of that is the quality opposition. They played some of the best teams in the league, and they clearly weren't good enough. But why weren't they good enough? What has happened? Well, so y- y- your first question, I do. I absolutely, I have what I do. I have what else the Jazz, and it's Memphis and Orlando and Charlotte, and um, hopefully that'll Golden State and Atlanta, and hopefully that'll that'll help out. A great deal coming up here. Um, you know, the teams we played were on a different level than us right now. We're not we're not at that point yet, and they were way better than we are, and they are great. Like we universally played. Uh, very, very good teams. Uh, Toronto hasn't looked as good since Kyle Lowry's come back because I think he's just discombobulated them a little bit. But, you know, the Lakers are as good as anyone in the NBA. If they're not the best in the NBA, Milwaukee is, and Philadelphia hasn't lost at home, and Toronto's about as good as Milwaukee. So those were four teams that are just better than us right now, and the next stretch of teams we're playing are not better than us, hopefully. Um, If we have equally... You know, I think some of that also gets to do with depth. Like, the big moment for us is when once we get off the starters, it's been pretty ugly. Like in the four losses, the starters are plus 14. But the bench has been annihilated. So it, it minus, eight, minus 87 when the five starters are not on the floor. So what is the plan? Is it better? I guess the simple thing, and I've gotten hit up by on Twitter with people with this, is it better to put the bench out there together and just get through that 10 to 12 to 15 minutes, whatever it is, as fast as possible and hope somehow they trade some hoops and hang around? Or you constantly have two or three starters out there with two or three bench guys and you never put your best lineup up there, but hopefully you don't get annihilated, although I think generally they do. So... Um, they do. So this is interesting because I think this might be a case where the numbers say one thing and reality is something else. The numbers so are lying. Math- I never thought I'd hear David Locke say that. Okay. Yeah. So math- mathematically, the answer is if you have a really good starting five, just play them. Denver's doing it right now. They're playing their starters 49% of the minutes. Just play them as many minutes as you possibly can and then just duck and take cover for the rest of the night. Um, And, you know, like Denver's bench, which a lot of people make a big deal about how good it is, it's awful. Um, It's like minus 15, and Denver starters are like minus plus 15. But if they're plus, you know, but if plus 15's on for 30, four minutes and minus 15 is only on for 14 minutes, then you come out really well. And that, you know, in that, that's how math works. And it's, but I'm not sure that losing the flow of a game that badly in the middle of the game is actually, you can isolate it like that. Right. So what we're really doing when we put it on papers is completely isolating 
the different aspects of the game, saying, well, numbers will take over numbers. But there is something to, like, if your bench is that bad and the other team goes on a 16-6 to run, but when you bring your other guys back in, they're on the wrong side of a 16-6 run when they come back in. I don't think they can just flip the switch. Like, particularly on the road, the arena's going, those guys feel good about themselves. I, I'm not sure that it really works in a capsule in that fashion. Do you, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. That, I do, yeah. And so I think that's a time where numbers might lie. Um, but I, but what also doesn't work is exactly what you're talking about, which is you play your starters for five minutes, they're plus three, and then you intermix that it depending on your team. And for the Jazz, let me just say this: for the Jazz, this does not seem to be working. You intermix them with the rest of the group, and to to cover up your weaknesses right now, all that's happening is you're negating the value of your best players because that's just not working. And some of the numbers are stunning. I mean, the minute we take one of our primary Donovan, Mike Boyan off the floor, the offense just goes away. And so that's the concern. That's what has to be figured out is what can be done so that the minute, like, it'd be fine if you're just like, oh, well, if we take Mike off the floor, we're fine with Boyan and Donovan, so then we can just go lead, we'll go play Mike with the bench unit, right? That would be, like, that's the easy math. You go look at that and say, oh, that's the answer. That doesn't exist right now for out there. Like, when, when, the, when Mike Conley is off the floor, the offense is a 100.5, which is in the eighth percentile of all offenses, according to Cleaning the Glass. When Donovan goes off the floor... Again, Boyan and Mike could still be on the floor, right? Just, just Donovan's off the floor. You end up with, I think we're in like the second percentile. And when Boyan goes off the floor, we're in the same situation. So that's the really tricky thing that's going on right now. So how come the bench isn't better? The Jazz, we've seen the Jazz have put together some pretty good bench units and had some talent on the bench. Now, I know they've spent a lot more money on the starting five, and so maybe that's the simple, maybe the short answer, the simple answer is, is spot on, but it, it's hard to believe the bench has been this bad, and yet we get a 20-game sample, 22-game sample now. It's, it's pretty substantial. It, it really, it has been that bad. How can, why, why not like previous um, years where there was some help on the bench? Well, I think this might be a little bit of what happens when you have $30 million players. Yeah. And we just haven't had that before. And we have two of them now. You spent all the money on the starters, so the bench isn't as good. Period. End of story. Right. No I mean, long without, explanation like, needed. Yeah, right. Without, like, I don't want to, like, single out players. but So our bench unit is a, two minimum players. What, a mid-level, not quite a, a, the binary or whatever exception, which is, you know, $3 million. Um, and then, uh, you know, and an $11 million player who needs to play better um, right now. And so other, and then an $11 million player who's coming off an injury or $9 million, whatever he is, right? So when you're, you know, if you're playing minimum players, in theory, there's a reason. 
Like that, right? There's a reason right. you're paying your thirty million dollar player thirty million dollars, and there's a reason you're paying your million dollar player a million dollars. So, um, do you think that the Jazz will be active when their guys are hitting buyouts and that? I mean, Portland going to Carmelo, man, it felt like a long shot. I didn't think it was going to help much, but he's clearly giving them a boost, and they're going to guarantee the contract now for the the rest of the year. Is there somebody the Jazz could scoop up midseason? Somebody you think might be coming available that would help? Well, Portland did something I strongly believe in. Like, if you have that person in your lineup that is just a tr- just a tremendous negative plus minus, um, uh, you can replace them. You you actually can replace them with something that's like average or even below average, and still get a huge uptick. Like, I think that's one of the biggest misnomers in the league is how. Or not misnomers. I think something that's not talked about enough, at least in the media, I don't, I've never been in a front office, is the impact of negative is far more to me than the impact of positive. Like negative's really, really detrimental because there's so few players that are that positive that it's hard to overcome the negative. Um, you know, and so if you have somebody who's plus minus is, is really, horrendous um, and you replace it, even if you don't replace it dramatic, you know, with something that's great, you just replace it with something that's solid. It's, it's usually a little stunning on how much you uptick. That's where Portland was, right? They, they had started Nazar little in their last game um, at that position. Um, they had been, you know, the Anthony Tolliver, I think if I remember correctly, it was like minus 15 differential when they're on and off the floor. He was there. He was their starting pat when Zach Collins went out. Like Zach Collins was like plus 15. And then they went to a minus 15 in their, with their next start. Well, then if you bring in Carmelo and let Carmelo just be average, he's good. If you know, That's he probably upgrade. actually right. becomes like a plus six or plus seven. So you, um, you know, that I think is something we could look into if time goes on and some of our plus minus numbers are at, are what they are now. So that's where the that's, Carmelo thing works. So it was kind of a long way to get there. All right. So that's a, that's a longer term answer. Shorter term, how about just play better? And when the players talk about it, and, you know, I know that there's only some things they can say because some things they can't. So they got to stick with some, some stuff that's safe. But when you hear players talk about, well, we got to control, we control, we can all control running back hard on defense. Okay, well, I don't know why that went away, but if that's a problem, how about fixing it? Do you think that they bottomed out getting lit up by the Lakers and have the Lakers dancing on the baseline there late in the game and that they bottomed out and now whatever the issues are, they let them go and focus on not ever letting that happen again and at least fixing it versus the Grizzlies? Yeah, I mean, I would think so. Um, It's hard, though, on the concept of – like when we say play better, do we mean shoot better? Do we mean just play more focused and detailed? Well, I mean, the end of the first quarter, like, is probably what bothered me more than anything. It's a thirty to twenty-six game, and you just totally mismanaged the two for one. And next thing you know, you're down nine or ten or whatever it was. Like that's brutal. Um, and then they did it at the end of the first half too. Like they were getting blown out, so it's hard to look at a nineteen-point game at halftime. I think is what it was. Wasn't it like sixty? 527 or something or 47 or something like that so 18 like it's hard to look at an 18 point game and say well you misplayed the end of each quarter but they really did like I think they cost themselves 10 points in the final 30 seconds of the first and second quarters like that stuff's weird to me um, particularly Joe was the culprit on one of them where I think he shot with you know he took his runner with like 6 seconds left allowing Kuzma to go the other way for a um, 
for a for a three, and then at the end of the first half, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something similar where um, I think we we had the ball with LeBron missed with like 50 seconds left, and we jumped took the took our first shot. At, I think we took our shot at 40, which gave them enough time to go two for one, and they hit back to back threes. Um, so I mean, it was just kind of like you know, it was one of those things where it's like, whoa, like what are we doing? Um, so those kind of things, I think, and just definitely watching the first half there's a lot of no pass possessions that then lead to no like no pass possessions lead to no transition running like i that that that, that is totally connected you go down don't pass the basketball the guys are not sprinting back defensively there's never been an nba player in the world that's ever done that do all the points off turnovers buggy i think they're 20th in the league now and how many points they've coughed up off of turnovers um live ball turnovers um particularly in Toronto, were problematic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I hate turnovers because I think the stat is so badly counted, right? You know, the bounce pass on the baseline trying to hit a corner three guy that goes out of bounds, and they take it they take it from out of bounds against the set defense. It's just so dramatically different than Boyan Bogdanovich trying to turn the corner at the top of the free throw line and someone stealing it for a run out going the other way, right? Like, that's um, – those are – so I don't, you know, I struggle a little bit with turnovers in the conversation. But live ball turnovers, particularly those free throw line and above, are catastrophic. You do it three times a night, you'll lose. You know, we did it like ten times. And, um, you know, our defense is the fifth best defense in the NBA after a defensive rebound. So um, if we want to really get into it, it would seem to be that our defensive problems in regards to transition are actually off turnovers, not off live ball turnovers after rather than off rebounds. Um the you know live ball turnovers were 18th in the league defending that uh half court were 11th in the league after a made shot and overall were 10th so yeah i mean i think there's we still do a pretty darn good job after a defensive rebound of building that wall for the most part of the season at least this year we're the fifth best team in the league at it we keep teams holding the ball the fifth longest there's still a lot of things we do really well in that regard all right, well, a lot of those things should rear their head uh, Saturday night against Memphis and get a win and start uh, turning the ship around. Cause... Yeah, I mean, the, the you go just take a second and look at offensive and defensive ratings, and, you know, we just put, there's four teams in the league that I think are top ten in both. We just played all of them. The defensive ratings of the teams the next seven games we play are 29th, 28th, 22nd, 27th, um, 14th, Minnesota's the best, at, or Minnesota's at 13th, and Orlando's at 10th. So we don't play a team in the top nine. We only play three teams in the middle, and we play four teams that are not very good. And the offensive rankings of the teams we play coming up are 29, 28, 26, 24, some bad, 21. Some bad we teams. Should get, you know, yeah. we, should, we should get defensively healthy here. David, thanks for a few minutes. David Locke, he'll be on the All call. Right. Grizzlies and Jazz I'll Saturday arrange, I'll arrange for PK to be back now. Okay. Saturday night, 8 o'clock. Yach's been in there working on the technology for an hour. I don't think he believes that. But, hey, if it works, why not? All right, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, the Jazz and the Grizzlies. DJ and PK. Brian Kill, Red and the Blue Friday, talking about the Cougars, waiting for the bowl game, looking back at the season, and, you know, talking just enough about the youths to set Twitter on fire again. Brian's coming up in about 20 minutes right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. Tis the season for dressing up. Visit Mr. Mac today and get suited up. Come join Scotty and Hands Wednesday, December 11th from noon to 3 at 5690 South Redwood Road in Taylorsville. All right, it's the Utes and the Ducks tonight. Who is going to win the Pac-12 title? If Oregon wins the game, they go to the Rose Bowl. The Utes... Maybe they go to Cotton to play Memphis or Boise State on a Saturday morning, December 28th. <laughs> Yak is making a face and shaking his head. More likely, they probably go to the Alamo Bowl. Pass. Yeah. Utes win. Oh, then we're all focused Sunday morning, 10 a.m. College football playoff committee announcement. Are they in or are they not? ESPN's got a stat out now that 13% chance. Up a month ago from a 6% chance of making the playoff, up to 13%. And if they win the game, they raise the odds to 27% if they beat the Ducks tonight. We can worry about all of that on Saturday and Sunday. Right now, can the Utes beat the Ducks? And there are two things I think people are really looking at in this game. Number one, the Utes' excellent defensive line against Oregon's really good offensive line. Who's going to win that battle? Utes have only given up 56 yards a game rushing. It's a ridiculous stat. I gotta believe they they hold their own at minimum, possibly dominate. Maybe dominates too much to ask because uh, Oregon's good. You know the other guys are good too, right? Oregon, you got to acknowledge. Hey, Oregon has got a good offensive line. Kyle's talked about that in his press conferences. But I think when you look at the Utes conference games this year, I don't think I know when you look at the Utes conference games this year, it's really come down to the passing game. If you can throw the ball on the Utes, you got a chance. There are three teams that have thrown the ball uh, somewhere from kind of sort of all right to uh, really quite well, and those are the three teams that were actually able to score points. Most teams, nothing. Seven points or less. Nothing. If Oregon scores seven points or less in this game, the Utes are Pac-12 champs, and they probably win big, and it ups their odds of going to the playoff. But... Slovis threw for 350 yards. He threw the four touchdowns. We know the USC receivers won a bunch of jump balls. And they won a game. Washington, Eason threw for 400 yards, or 300 yards and four touchdowns. 300 yards, four scores. But he also made the big mistakes with two scores. And he was really effective early in the game, and then it kind of tailed off. Although I think they did score once in each of the quarters. But they were up 14-3 to early second quarter and then uh, got a late score in the fourth quarter to make the game look a little closer than it was. But in the middle of the game, uh, the Utes against Washington's passing and got the upper hand. Wazoo was in a 14-13 game with the Utes with the, the three or four minutes left in the first half. And they were throwing the ball well. And then the Utes figured it out and got them locked down. And of course, you got to factor pass rush into this, obviously, but I just look at Oregon and think, if they can't throw the ball, they can't win this game. They can't. The Utes have them. 
And so as much as I get the whole offensive-defensive line battle because both units are so good, I still think it comes down to throwing the ball. Because if you can't throw the ball in the Utes, you can't move the ball in the Utes. And even if you do throw it, and if Oregon has some success, how long can they sustain it? Because we've seen in, against these three opponents twice, the Utes figured it out, got the upper hand, and stopped the passing game over the course of the game. So for me, that's the number one thing to watch tonight. And I know Kyle will say, hey, the first stat after the final score is turnovers, and certainly you look at those, and I think you got to factor it in. Because that pick six for Jalen Johnson was a massive play in that game. So keep your eye on, ability, on Oregon's ability to throw the ball. All right, Brian Keel, the red and the blue. Uh, Brian's got some thoughts on the Utes, also on the Cougars with 12 games down, now waiting for the bowl game. Where do they go with quarterback? They, three quarterbacks who've all looked good. I don't think any have looked good to the point where you say, well, that's the guy. He's got this, you know, he's or not there. But there's hope with all three of them. We'll talk with him about that next. DJ and PK, stay with us.